Hello, this is Noelle, just a typical ADHDer, and I'm talking more about Oswald Cobblepot in the TV series Gotham. You should probably listen to the episode before this, which is the first part about Oswald, and then there are two other podcasts I made about the TV show in general. I'm going to try to post on Tuesday, though I think I failed this past week. Oh well, I can be found at Noelle Vivant, N-O-E-L-L-E-V-I-V-A-N-T-E, on Twitter, and on Patreon, I should be just a typical ADHDer. So, I will continue to discuss the crime lord as played by Robin Lord Taylor here. So here, I'm especially going to talk about him being a really interesting case of strong desire for narcissistic validation and control and power over other people. You see this with his mother, who is a very strange bird. Um, (laughs) She uh, validates everything he does. She constantly praises him, but he's grown up without a father and kind of an outsider with this eccentric mother who is an immigrant from Eastern Europe Actually, they eventually make it clear that uh, she was from Hungary. And he's grown up with this mixture of being smothered with affection and probably disciplined in a very weird way, if disciplined at all, and being tormented and bullied by others, I assume, and from how he's talked about his life. So he lives to make his mother proud of him, but he can make his mother proud by doing absolutely anything, and then lying about it. She never suspects because she lives in her own world. There's plenty of evidence for her to be concerned about him being a psychopath, but she never stops heaping praise on him for being a perfect, wonderful boy, and if anybody is mean to him, it's just because they're jealous, and he never has to take responsibility for anything. It's just continually this outpouring of love. And that's what he associates affection with, is him being able to do anything he wants and still being unconditionally and possessively adored. Because uh, I saw some people, (laughs) some people said that he has a healthy relationship with his mother um, and that it was lazy to suggest otherwise or to insinuate that there was anything incestuous going on. But this is absolutely not the case. If this is um, your relationship with your mother, I would recommend that you evaluate it seriously because she is extremely possessive of him. She is more concerned about him cheating on her with another woman than with him being in harm's way. She tells him that there's no one in this horrible world who he can trust except for her. And she bathes him. He is about 30 years old, and in the middle of whatever room they're in, he's completely naked, sitting in the bathtub, and she is sensually bathing him. They don't show more than that, but to me, that indicates that at the very best, they are emotionally incestuous. I assumed it also suggested that... She had sexually abused him and possibly was continuing to. I don't know, but he found this to be totally normal, as did she. He also disappeared 
multiple times without uh, telling her. And at one point he reuses a brooch that he stole right off of a woman who was walking down the street just because he wanted it um, and tried to give to Fish Mooney when they were on the outs. Um, when Fish Mooney stabbed him in the hand with it and rejected it, he gave it to his mother and said that he immediately thought of her. So I don't think that he was actually genuinely, you know, loved. I don't think that he genuinely loved his mother in a healthy way, like some people have said. I think that even a lot of people were worried that he would murder his mother in the early seasons because she maybe was holding him back. But the way the show portrayed it is that he was her one source of, I guess, narcissistic supply, whereas everyone else could come and go as far as he was concerned. But she was the one who continually held him and put him up on a pedestal. Now, at one point, this illusion starts to shatter because another criminal tells her that her son is a psychopath and a murderer and a criminal, and she is just totally devastated and cries and wants him to tell her the truth, and he can't do that. In fact, it's probably the most emotional we see him get early on in the series. He cries and lashes out at someone because he has to keep this mask up and he has to keep this image for her. And I don't think it was because he was extremely concerned about her worrying for him. We do eventually see that he is willing to sacrifice his life for hers. That's the first sign of unselfishness we really see from him. He would rather die than give her up. To be consistent, I would say it's because he can't give up that one source of adoration. But whatever the case, that is his weakness. And after, more spoilers, 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 after she dies, he is extremely emotional and much more vulnerable than we've seen him. I think he's even ready to die. He's still vicious, but he needs to be revived. And so we see for the rest of the series, he's really kind of trying to replace his mom at one point, in fact, throughout it probably, with the Riddler because he takes care of him at his lowest point and nurses him back to health physically and emotionally and psychologically. He meets him where he is, which is at his pain and grief and cruelty. <laughs> He admires him and doesn't ask for much in return. At first, he just wants him to be his bad guy mentor of sorts. And eventually, he's so grateful for him when Penguin helps him escape um, a mental asylum that he does put his life on the line to, for one, prove himself right, and two, to give Penguin what he really wants which is to be loved by the people of Gotham. And he helps him win a mayoral election, even though Penguin threatens to kill him when he finds out that he has gone behind his back and tampered with the bribes that uh, he handed out. So this sort of unconditional adoration or manipulation and flattery, depending on how you look at it, is exactly what he wants. Eventually, the more power he gains, the more he desires this of everybody. 
he's like this with uh, Mr. Penn, one of his servants and assistants, who at some point snaps and says, you never give anything. All you do is take and take and take. And he's like this with his subjects when he has some control over, I don't know how many people, but it's basically post-apocalyptic Gotham. Uh, he basically lets the people die of starvation and he overworks them and essentially is torturing his subjects to death, but he never gets enough. He forces them to basically worship him and sing songs to him and do everything for him and is horrified when they don't love him, even though he's given them no reason to love him. Just because he can control them and dominate them, he does, and he thinks he deserves to do this. His relationship with the Riddler is a whole thing, both behind the scenes and how people interpreted it and in the story itself. My interpretation, which doesn't necessarily align with a number of the people involved who have spoken out about it, is that they had a mutual relationship and attraction and interest and were maybe not romantically involved, but um, probably sexually involved. I mean, they lived together twice. At one point, Penguin lives with Riddler in his one-bedroom apartment with one bed, and later Riddler moves into the house with Penguin and dresses him, even though that's not really his duty. He the, becomes the chief of staff. And when Penguin kind of suggests he wants a plus one to Ed Nigma, Ed rejects him, but he's not surprised at all. He just sort of casually is like, oh, I can't go because I have a date with this woman, blah, blah, blah. So it seems like they're really comfortable with each other in that way. And my interpretation, which might be fanciful, is that one of the reasons why Riddler has so many problems accepting the love of uh, Penguin is because Penguin is basically a psychopath. I mean, he ha he goes through so much. He gets his brain fried by Doctor Strange so that for a short time he is sincerely and extremely touchingly sweet and genuine and sincere, um, which by the way also makes him a victim and makes him unable to survive in the extremely harsh reality of Gotham, so to speak, reality. Um, his viciousness allows him to thrive and survive in that environment. But anyway, he goes through so much. So yeah, he is sometimes tender. Sometimes he's just a toddler. Sometimes he's a calculating mastermind. Anyway, whatever the case, he's quite evil with a few soft spots. So I feel like Ed has this idea that he deserves better and he deserves some beautiful woman who is basically good or wants to do good things. And eventually he goes after a woman who uh, I guess is kind of doing bad things and he like wants to turn her into his partner, but he already had Penguin who did bad things, so it doesn't make sense. Um, but anyway, I just assumed that uh, Riddler thought that Penguin was incapable of love, which he almost is. And he was just shocked that someone as powerful as Oswald Cobblepot would like someone like him who used to be just a lowly forensic scientist. 
So the two of them end up having an extremely fraught but homoerotic friendship and relationship. And I don't think a lot of my interpretation is in any way contradicted by the canon in spite of what many viewers and maybe some of the actors and producers said that, uh, for example, the Riddler was heterosexual. I mean, we see him interested in three women, two of whom look exactly alike. And otherwise, he's very flamboyant and I guess very gay coded, um, as is his character in the comics. I don't know if he's actually, I think he might actually be bisexual in the comics. I'm not sure. But he seems really interested in Penguin and a few other characters who are men. I thought it was really obvious between these two characters, but because they didn't kiss, many straight viewers said there was nothing between them. And even though they made it extremely clear that Penguin fell in love with uh, the Riddler. He, they refer to him being in love. He says he wants the one person, his one true love to share this with. And they're always standing a few inches apart from each other. And at one point, the Riddler has a weird hallucination of Penguin sensually singing this song about basically the bed being empty and blah, blah, blah. The producers were able to have this tension and as many, many queer viewers said, uh, queer bait their audience over and over and over and over again, and have more conservative viewers see it and say, oh, there is literally nothing gay about it. I think he was in love with him in uh, a friendly way. I don't know. I've, I don't think I've ever described myself being in love with my friends or they compare him to a family way. Okay, maybe. I've never described myself as being in love with any of my family members, but it's ridiculous because people would accuse uh, fangirls mostly of seeing stuff that wasn't there when they were obviously seeing stuff that wasn't there. Like they were ignoring all of the ways in which the scenes were shot really romantically and the two of them were sitting in front of a fireplace on a couch um, there were shots of their hands and close-ups of their faces, and the music was really touching. And even the words they used about love, they just completely ignored all of that in favor of having a totally heteronormative view. Of course, there were also lots of people who said that the entire show was ruined because uh, one of the characters was gay, which again makes literally no sense because the show changes so much and you know it's just pure homophobia if that's the one thing you focus on but then again I saw some comments about how gender bending some of the characters ruined everything even though that also made new sense but whatever the case um it seemed like those involved whether it was the network or the writers or a whole bunch of people I'm assuming seemed really determined to uh, flirt with this idea and be absolutely homophobic about their relationship and never show a kiss between them while catering to, I assume, straight men by having women make out with each other and then later referring to them as friends. And then also have their other audience who wanted to see a gay male couple continues to support them as well. In the end, they got canceled. People were really angry 
it really hurt a lot of people emotionally. I mean, people could say, oh, it's a movie or TV show. It doesn't mean anything. But of course it does. There are tons of studies about how influenced we are by what we see and consume. But I think that a lot of fans felt like they were super gaslighted because they would purposefully have so much romantic stuff in advertising and the show itself, and then in interviews say stuff about how neither of the characters were gay and one of them was actually explicitly heterosexual. Now, they also said that about all sorts of things. They just straight up lied left and right. So I can't imagine I would be so frustrated if I read any of this stuff (laughs) as it was coming out. I don't know why they couldn't just shut their mouths or actually say things that were true. But whatever the case, I think it helped them lose a lot of their audience in an attempt to gain and retain viewers. So Penguin is both a Machiavellian figure who is really good at plotting against people in the more negative sense of the term, because sometimes he goes way too far, which Machiavelli wouldn't approve of. Uh, But he's also Dickensian, so he's a very broad, larger-than-life character. And maybe part of the reason why he seems Dickensian to me is because he dresses like he's from the 19th century much of the time. It depends on the situation. Um, Sometimes he looks a bit more modern, like when he goes into fascist mode later, he's more like Soviet or like a North Korean dictator nowadays. And uh, when he runs for mayor, he goes more for like a 1950s dapper suit. But the makeup, hair, and wardrobe people did a fantastic job with his character. He has these beautiful outfits that range from sort of black to purple, the traditional colors of the Penguin character. And he's very pale. Sometimes they let freckles come through. Um, He has dark circles under his eyes. But sometimes you can tell that he has put on mascara and makeup himself. In fact, towards the end of the series, we see other people putting makeup on him for when he goes out to battle. And he has these yellowish teeth um, later or when he's able to. His teeth get whiter and whiter when he's more in the public eye. And his hair is just wonderful because it really shifts to suit the occasion. For example, occasionally he has these streaks of purple in his hair. Uh, Usually it's when he goes to some elaborate uh, fundraiser or when he gets a seat for some reason at this, basically a table of villainy. I don't know why he decides to really go all out and it actually looks kind of like Fish Mooney's hair. Then there's hair he wears when he's temporarily good, which is much more sedate and kind of combed over to the side. There's hair he wears when he gets into a lot of power in the later seasons. And for some reason, it's just totally straight up or maybe slightly swerved to the side if it's a more somber occasion. (laughs) But it gets really high, like the more power he has when he's kind of gaining power, wants some sympathy. It goes down again, but it's still very spiky. So it's like a little bit intimidating, but not quite as ridiculous. (laughs) I don't know if any of this makes sense. He's this very vampiric figure. 
One final thing, I suppose, is his theme music. I mentioned in the previous episode that I, I do like the score for this show, and his is probably the most elaborate. The Riddler also has some beautiful themes. Um, a lot of the minor characters do, these light motifs, and his certainly evolves as the character evolves. So at the beginning, it's a bit more... Um, kind of eerie and sneaky, like one of them is called Penguin Snoops, and there's kind of like this rattling sound that uh, plays throughout his appearances. When he finally starts getting into his groove and becomes more and more confident and gains more and more standing, his plan starts getting into place maybe about halfway through the first season, then he kind of gets this new theme, which incorporates some of the older stuff, which is much more bombastic and loud. And they use that wonderfully in different moments. There's also sad, sort of beautiful music when he thinks about his mother or when he falls in love with the Riddler. There's other tender music that reminds him of childhood that they also play when he starts to feel affection for an orphan boy who probably reminds him of himself. He's definitely... Uh, has violent tendencies and is very lonely. <laughs> and, for example, when he and the Riddler meet, uh, their themes start to intertwine. Like, the Riddler's is a bit more 1950s, this older, romantic, but unsettling music at the same time, uh, except for when his psyche fractures and then it's really disjointed when he and the Riddler meet, their themes sort of play off of one another. So this episode was way longer than I planned. Um, I could go on and on about this character, about so much stuff with Gotham. There was a lot of drama, not necessarily in the production, but amongst the fans and with good reason. And there's obviously so much source material to draw on and so many associations you can make. And I have so many criticisms of the writers and how they can pull from these fantastic sources and spin them into something really amazing and then throw them down the toilet just to perpetuate harmful stereotypes. In conclusion, thank you for listening. I am at Noelle Vivant, N-O-E-L-L-E-V-I-V-A-N-T-E on Twitter. I guess I still have a Patreon and I'm still working on my website. Um, I really hope that I can maybe borrow a microphone to make it slightly better sound quality. But whatever the case, I hope you enjoyed this. And if I ever have a chance, I will record or write more uh, about Gotham. Whether you're interested or not, if not, you can ignore it. But if you are, then uh, let me know or check it out. So I hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.